Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. A firm foundation, not to be shaken. You know, the part of the reason why we're in a shakable system is the fact of the matter that God wants to show in the midst of a shakable system, an economy and world system, that those of us who've been born again are not part of that system. We are unshakable or immovable would be another word, okay? And so this morning, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to join me in the book of Acts and the 20th chapter. So Acts chapter 20. Boy, y'all look good this morning. Well, some of y'all are not looking. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You look great this morning, all right? Uh, let me say, do you notice a little more light out there? Yes, I've had several of you come to me and say, hey, it seems to be a little brighter during the preaching time. Yeah, we brightened it up a little out there. Matter of fact, we're maxed out. So that's all you got, okay? Um, but that's to help you as you're reading the Word. So why did I say that? I hope you have your copy of God's Word out. Don't just trust the overhead. Have you a copy of the Word of God uh, that you cherish, that you keep with you, all right? And so today, Acts chapter 20. Remember the book of Acts was Luke's second letter. Again, the audience was a guy named Theophilus, remember, as he is teaching and uh, writing to encourage Theophilus to know that Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his teachings were absolutely true in the gospel according to Luke. But in the second letter, the Acts is a, it's the actions, if you will, of those who had received Jesus or had responded to the gospel. And the word gospel, you'll need to know this today, means good news. Okay, now we'll come back to that in a little bit. The gospel means good news. Now, as we fast forward into Paul, uh, Luke's second letter, in chapter 20, he's recording the events of a man's life by the name of Paul. But he had another name. Does anybody know what his other name is? Saul. Uh, Saul being his Hebrew name, uh, Paul being more of his Roman name, all right? And so somebody said, well, Jesus gave him a new name. No, uh, those are cultural names. And if you'll notice, even after he was saved, he was referred to as Saul for a season until he specifically began to minister to the Gentiles, hence calling him Paul. Y'all with me? Some of y'all disappointed that it wasn't Jesus that changed his name. Hey, more than that, Jesus changes eternity, all right? Be happy about that, okay? Changes eternity. So, in this uh, Acts chapter 20, Luke is recording for Theophilus, but also for all of us, uh, that we would see the difference in a life that has surrendered to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say to you this morning that people have asked me over time, hey, uh, tell me about this 18-year journey. You've seen a lot of people saved, and I would say, yeah. I mean, uh, not, not enough. Can I say that to you this morning? I hadn't seen enough people saved. Uh, but I have. God's allowed me to see uh, in all over the world a lot of people saved. And the person asked the question, what do you think is the most effective way that people are reached uh, by, the, by the Lord for his salvation? Uh, and I'd say probably number one would be the preaching or the sharing of his word, right? It's the word that has the power of God unto salvation. So he said he's chosen the foolishness of preaching uh, to bring to salvation salvation, many, all right, so there's that. But then the second, and I would say a close second, would be uh, the evidence of the gospel in people's lives around the person who gets saved. Does that make sense to you? What I mean is, 
one of the most effective ways that I see people being saved is when a person and their circle of influence is born again. And I don't just mean like praise a prayer, but I'm talking about their life is radically changed and turned over to Jesus. Those people that do life with them can't help but notice. Y'all tracking with me? Uh, they notice that all of a sudden, here's one of the first places you, you can notice, especially if you're not in the circle of influence, I always notice that Facebook posts begin to be a little different. Anybody out there? Anybody can say, come on, y'all. We can work together on this thing. All right, how many of you say that in your life, you realize, looking back, your, your Facebook post changed, your social media presence changed when you were born again. Raise your hand. All right, see, that's what Jesus does. So, uh, but more so, the people who are in your everyday life, you know, that watch at home, uh, that listen to you at work, that go to class with you and see how you interact with a difficult teacher, uh, to see how you interact with the kid that everybody else picks on, uh, to see how you act in the office when everybody else is gossiping or picking on somebody. or You, you understand what I'm saying. What I mean is uh, people are watching me and you, and they're formulating an, uh, an opinion on our living testimony. Did you know that your life is, in fact, testifying of something? Yes. You're teaching and preaching some gospel. It may not be the good news gospel, but we're teaching and testifying of something. Now, what's happened here is we're only going to cover, we're going to pick up in verse number 17, but don't stand yet because I'm going to give you a little more background. Now, if you'll notice, this section of text goes from chapter uh, 20, verse 17, all the way down to, to verse number, do you see the end of that section? 38, right? And so today, because I know you guys are hungry, some of y'all look hungry, uh, I'm only going to cover half of that, all right? Then you're supposed to smile a little bit about that, okay? Now, but I, I don't want to disconnect the two. I'll build on that tonight and preach the second half, so don't miss that. You want to see how they connect. But the first part of this section, Paul is, well, the second half, he's going to ask the elders, elders, same word for bishop, same word for shepherd, uh, same word for pastor, okay? So he's, he's going to call the pastors of the church in the area together and ask them some, something of them. But before he does that, he's going to remind them of who he is, or more importantly, who Jesus has made him to be. Does that make sense? I believe in our world today that we would say that the culture is headed in the wrong direction. Anybody would amen that? And as we look at that, it frustrates us. Wouldn't you agree? I think about my grandchildren being born and to this culture that they're in and the, the shift that's happened in, the, in my little short lifetime. And I think sometimes, you ever think about this? What will it be in 20 years? Think about what it was 20 years ago. And you ask yourself the question, what will it be in 20 years? And so we look at culture and we see violence and we see depravity and we see uh, selfishness riddling the country. I'm telling you, if you want to find out about it, watch the news sometime. It will, it'll dishearten you, won't it, to see what humans are doing to other humans? I mean, right here in, in, in Hines County, quite close to us in Hines County, are finding bodies in the road. I, I mean, it's a, it's a day and time, we'd say, when it seems as if darkness is all around us. And generally, our response to that is to complain about law enforcement. Our response is often to complain about those who are in elected offices. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about is to sit around and complain about the public schools and complain about this and complain about that. And what I want to do today is sort of just point to what is the real problem, okay, as we get started. And I believe in my little humble estimation, and I believe I can prove it, is that the main problem with our culture and society is the lack of obedience in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Now, it's easier, isn't it, to complain about who's in the White House or who's in the Senate seat or who's in the you know, the judge or the law. It's easier to, to do that. 
But the truth of the matter is we've been called not to pray a prayer and then go to church some. We've been called to Jesus to live the mission that we might transform the culture, right? Twelve people did it all around the world. Look at how many in this room right now. So, today, and some of y'all looking like, man, I'm so glad I came to Hickory Ridge. I came in, and I was getting ready for Thanksgiving. I thought I was going to have a Thanksgiving message. And the guy, we came right in the door, and he told us, we're the problem. And uh, actually, we being me and you, okay? Now, don't you ever think the guy up here preaching to you is preaching down to you, because I promise you, I'm a part of the deal as well. Uh, so, just settle in, and let's let the Lord speak to our hearts. So, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet with me now. And we're going to read 17 to verse 24. Y'all can make it that long. Amen? Amen. Let's do it, all right? Acts chapter 20. Verse 17 to verse number 24. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Who did? Paul. And when they had come to him, he said to them, this is what he said, you know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials. You mean that when we come to Jesus, it's not all lollipops and gumdrops? Yeah, surprising. Serving the Lord, verse 19, with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly, but also from house to house, testifying to Jews, but also to Greeks. Here's what he was testifying, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in, y'all help me, which city? Oh, boy. In every city that he visits, the Holy Spirit says that chains and tribulations are waiting for him. Now, doesn't that sound like a trip you want to go on? Where y'all going next week? Oh, we're going over to, you know, Kentucky. Where are you going to Kentucky? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But, well, I take that back. I do know one thing that's guaranteed. Every single city we stop in, there's going to be chains and trials and difficulty. Well, don't make, can you imagine if we passed up a sign-up sheet? We're going to start right here on the front, and we're going to pass a sign-up sheet. How many of us would quickly pass it to the next person and try to change the subject, you know, maybe get on our phone and be distracted? But Paul, living the mission, says, let me read, all right, verse number 24. You reading with me? But none of these things, what things? Trials, tribulations, chains, none uncertainty. None of these things, y'all help me, move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race, and not just finish it, but finish it with joy, okay? I finish my race with joy and the ministry, okay, which I received from the Lord Jesus. And the whole purpose is to testify to the gospel of the grace of of God. Let's bow our heads together and let's pray together. Would you do that with me? Father, we thank you now for the reading of your word and now the preaching of it. And as we come to this holy hour, holy being set apart, uh, Father, I pray our minds and ears would be tuned to you. Lord, I pray today that as you take someone so simple as I, less than ordinary, flawed and, and failed in so many different places, that God, today you'd fill me again with your Holy Spirit and the gift you've given me to preach would be on display that every woman, boy, and girl, every man in the place would know that it is proof you can use anybody, anywhere, and at any time. Thank you that you don't call the qualified, but you qualify those that you call. Now, as you've given me this platform and this people, would you help me to preach it, not just to them, but to me also? 
I thank you, O God, that you're able to tune our ears into your still, small voice. Now, here's my prayer. Lord, would you keep us from being distracted? You know that we're living in a day and time when we are very easily distracted. Our attention is so hard to give. Now, supernaturally, would you help us lock in, sit on the front edge of our seat like we're the only person in the room, and as if you were in this place speaking directly to your children one-on-one, giving us the words of life. Now, Father, help us to be still and not move all around and get up and leave in and out of the room, uh, but only in the case of emergency. Father, help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you're being seated, I want to, if I could, give you the title. The title of the message is The Greatest Thanksgiving. The Greatest Thanksgiving. Now, when you think about The Greatest Thanksgiving, you might be thinking about, I better not go into the area of food because your eyes will glaze over and I'll lose you. So I'm not going to go there. Maybe your area of The Greatest Thanksgiving is the time you got to see somebody you hadn't seen in a while or you get to catch up with some of your family that you hadn't seen in a while. And you think about what is The Greatest Thanksgiving. And we reserve the word Thanksgiving for a day in November. I'm not going to beat anybody up for that. Matter of fact, I'm glad that we have a day that we do set aside specifically to think about the things that we're thankful for. But as the children of God, whoever in here is born again, I don't know which ones of you are and which ones of you are, and I can only speak for me. We should live a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And the greatest thanksgiving that you and I can give is not putting a little money in the offering plate. It's not, it's not uh, uh, having a bumper sticker or a T-shirt or even, watch this, it's going to shock some of y'all, it's not even church attendance. But the greatest thanksgiving we can live is a life fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want to give you, the main idea of our passage today. Would you write this somewhere? Here's the main idea. A life fully surrendered testifies to the gospel of grace. Just write that somewhere. A life fully surrendered testifies to the gospel of grace. Now, as you're writing, okay, that's going to stay on the overhead there for a few minutes. Give them a little time to write. I'm going to speak for just a second on this idea of grace. Can I do that? Good, here I go. Now, grace is getting what you do not deserve. How many of you already knew that? Raise your hand. You already knew. Most of you knew that. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Would you agree with me that we do not deserve a relationship with God? Yes. How do we have it? By grace. Uh, Would you agree with me that you and I don't deserve the wonder and the splendor and the reward of heaven, right? Uh, How many of you agree with that? Yes. How do we get it? By grace. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mark Twain said this, if heaven was about merit, merit meaning living good or morally and right, if heaven was about merit, your dog would get in and you would not. Now, let's think about that for just a minute. I'm going to take one area and I'm going to make a point. I'm going to move on, all right? The area is unconditional love. Now, would you agree with me that the Word of God teaches that as followers of Jesus, one of the paramount truths of our life are we are called to love unconditionally? Say amen if you've gotten that truth. Amen. Now, let's just take an example. I read this somewhere the other day. They said, if you want to find out who loves you unconditionally, here's a test. Take and uh, kick your dog, kick your wife, and kick your best friend or husband. Put them all in the trunk of your car. Travel down the road two miles in August. Pop the trunk, let them out, see which one's glad to see you. Don't, listen, don't do that. Don't, they'll find your body in a field somewhere. Don't do that. But the point I'm making is true, wouldn't it? The only one's going to be glad to see you is who? Your dog. Your dog, right? So thank God, thank God that what we are offered in Jesus is by grace. We don't deserve it, okay? Now keep that in mind. 
Paul was one who persecuted the very church of Christ, right? He was, before he was converted, before he became a believer, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, his whole mission was to hunt down people who had turned to Jesus for forgiveness. He plotted against them. He had a group of Jewish friends who were in the upper group of, the, of society, and they would go in and have them arrested and pulled away from their families. Some of them starved. Some of them uh, uh, stoned to death. Others just kept in prison, separated from their families. He was, in fact, one who chased after and destroyed, tried to destroy the very church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Same church that Christ died for, Paul tried to destroy now, on the road to Damascus, he's been by grace. Oh, look, by grace. He didn't deserve it, but Jesus chased him down. And if you're thinking about it this morning, I want you to consider, if you were going to chase somebody down to be on your team, correction, if you were to chase somebody down and to bring them onto your family, Paul would not be the guy that you would probably pick. If he hated you and everybody who said they loved you, he tried to kill or to starve. You'd say, let me just pick over that guy. But it's the perfect picture of the grace of God that pursues me and pursues you, that saves me and sustains me, and it's going to be what this message is all about, okay? So again, tonight's message is going to be what he's asking these pastors to do, but first, he sets up the case that the gospel of grace has so transformed his life, and as an expression of full surrender, uh, the gospel is going to be testified of, okay? So let's rewind and go back to the beginning. Here's the question I want us to answer, okay? If this whole thrust of the first half of this passage deals with a life fully surrendered testifies of the gospel, to the gospel of grace, here's a good question. What does full surrender look like? Isn't that a logical question for us to answer uh, today? If we say a life fully surrendered testifies of the gospel of grace, it would make much sense for us to answer the question, what does a life fully surrendered look like? Now listen, if we don't ask the question, if we don't look to the Scripture to answer it, here's what we do. We make our own determination. Our silly little ideas will be like this. Oh, they're fully surrendered. They're at church all the time. <laughs> they're fully surrendered because, because they've got a T-shirt that says so. They're fully surrendered because I save them give a little money into the offering plate. And if we don't let the Scripture help us to see what a life fully surrendered is, we'll misunderstand it. Can we start there, somebody? Amen. All right, let's let the Word of God define it for us. I'm going to define it about, I don't know, six different ways, seven, something like that. Y'all just hanging there. Good news is you ain't got another group rushing you like the first group did. Don't you feel blessed? Huh? Don't you feel blessed? Nobody, I don't have to look at the clock. I can just preach and let it go, you know? And uh, we don't have to worry about somebody rushing us out of here. So here we go, number one. Except I do know Jackie's probably saying, come on now, let's keep this thing rolling, all right? So what is full surrender like? We're going to answer it six ways. We're going to make a statement. Six different ways. It will start the same and finish different. Here's the phrase. Number one, a life fully surrendered, they'll all start that way. Number one, a life fully surrendered is consistent in following Jesus. Consistent. Meaning that it is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Now, how many of you like me would say, there have been times and days and hours and seasons where you've been closer to Jesus than at other times. Raise your hand if that's the case of your life, right? When you and I look to the story of Israel and how they would get near to God and God would bless them and pour out blessings and things would get good, and when things got good was always their most dangerous place, they would forget God and go after other gods, and so God would give consequence to that, and they'd lose the stuff and lose the possession and the place of privilege, and their enemies would have their way, and then they would come to a place of 
repentance. They'd cry out to God. And God in his mercy and grace would respond and send a deliverer. And they, would, and they would be delivered and they would find themselves in a sweet spot again. And the sweet spot would be so sweet. And they'd be enjoying that fellowship. They'd be drug off to some. And so they were on this kind of ebb and flow, close to him, away from him, close to him. Does that sound like anybody in the house? And what the word is teaching us today is that our life really should look more like a, a trajectory of this manner instead of this manner, okay? Now, let, let me show you where I found this. In verse number 17, specifically verse 18, okay? Now, 17 from Miletus. Now, remember, this is Paul, and he's moving around place to place. Uh, he's establishing churches. He's encouraging f- current churches, and he stays a little while here. Don't you know that must have been hard? Be here for a little while, get to know these people, pour your life into them, and then God moves you over here. Listen, I've, I've had the wonderful privilege of being here 18 years, and I thank God for allowing me to stay that long. And uh, because I see guys, man, here a little while. And so Paul's, but God used that. And he'd move him here and there. And so he says in verse number 17, from Miletus, he, went, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders, the pastors, the shepherds of the church. Now he's going to ask them some stuff. We'll look at that tonight. But when they had come to him, he said to them, listen closely, you know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I, y'all help me, always lived. Does, does anybody hear in those words, you know how I always live? Do you hear the word consistent? You knew I was that way on Monday night. You knew I was that way on Tuesday. You knew I was that way on Sunday afternoon. You knew I was that way when we were gathering as the church. You knew that I was that way when I was at home. You knew I was that way when I was working. You knew that I was that way. In other words, you were able to observe my life more than just a little bit of time on Sunday morning. And what Paul is saying about his life is that a life fully surrendered to Jesus is a life that's consistent in following him. Now, can you imagine being able to say this to people? Can you imagine being able to say, now listen, uh, from the first time I showed up, now there's, there's something very important about that. Wouldn't you agree with me that your first impressions, you usually try a little harder on your first impression. Anybody say you've been there before? And whether that be dating someone, whether that be meeting their parents, whether that be a new job, whether that be a new team, uh, when you're on that team, you want to put your best foot forward. Matter of fact, I'd even go this far. You ready? We'd even go so far as to put a mask on and pretend to be somebody that we're really not. And Paul said, from the first day I showed up, I didn't put a mask on for you. You may have thought I had one on, but as I lived with you for many days, you saw that at nighttime and midday when things were good, when things were bad, when things were hard, when things were easy, you saw that the guy you met that first day was the same guy who's, writing, who's, who's speaking to you now. And wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be so impactful if you and I really began to live a life fully surrendered that we were consistent in our follow with Jesus, that our our trajectory would look this way, okay, instead of this way. And what I'm praying for me and I'm praying for you is that as we leave out of here today, we evaluate, Lord, what is it? What is it that keeps dragging me away? What is it that keeps pulling me away from you? And that, God, you would eliminate that thing from my life that I might stay near to you. Now, for some of us, it's our families. You say, what, what does that mean, eliminate them? Well, hopefully, hopefully you just fall more in love with Jesus and they, they don't have to go, right? And you're able to love him more and have them at the same time. But maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a sport. I don't know what it is, but there are all kinds of things in this life that can pull us away, keep us from being consistent. And so God has a great way of keeping us in that place. So he says, you know from the very first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. A life fully surrendered is consistent in following Jesus. Let me say it this way. The soul that has been rescued, now I want you to think about it, that has been rescued by Christ's great sacrifice does not disconnect from him when you get on the football field. 
the, the soul that's been rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't disconnect when you get in the classroom. The soul that's been rescued by the Lord Jesus is not one way in here, and then when he gets home, or she gets home with her husband or wife or children, doesn't disconnect from Jesus, but Jesus is not just preeminent or number one here, but it is the mark of your life. There's a consistency that Jesus matters with the things you do and the things that you don't do, the things that you say and the things that you don't say. When Christ is, as Ronnie said this week, numero uno, it's evident in the way we live our lives. Consistency. Can you imagine the difference you and I would make is if our friends are watching us, not just on the mountaintop, but down in the valley. And by the way, you may not know this, but your coworkers, your classmates, your friends, they are in fact watching you. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken notice or not, but as the whole series of events are going on in life, they're making an evaluation in their heart and mind about you. And maybe they've heard from you, and if you're born again, they should have heard from you, that you have, in fact, been born again, and that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. And so when you make that statement, you come out and share that, and you should with everybody around you ought to know that about you. They shouldn't have to guess. They shouldn't say, well, he goes to church. They ought to hear you say, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. Let me tell you about when the day I get saved, greatest day of my life. You ought to tell them about it. All your coworkers are not. By the way, I wonder if we just took a little field trip Monday and went to your coworkers and sat and asked them the question, hey, when did he get born again? Have you ever heard of it? I don't know. I think he goes to church maybe. But there ought to be a place where they hear that, and then what happens is, listen, they watch us when things are going good, you know? How do we treat people when we have money in the bank and nobody's sick? You know, those rare seasons when things are going, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've had a few of those over the journey. And how do we treat people? How do we act? How do, how, what are we concerned with? Do we share the gospel? Are we loving for? Are we helping people with, with our resources? And then, let me say this, they lean in a little bit closer and listen a little bit more clearly when we are in the valley. And they want to really see if there's a difference between us and them. Because most people, when the pressure's on, they don't do very well. They get self-centered and self-focused. And your coworkers and your spouse and your friends and your classmates and your students and your customers and your clients, they're leaning in and looking at you to see if you are, in fact, consistent with your claim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, let's move on from this first fact. Oh, a life fully surrendered is consistent in following Jesus to the second one I want us to look at. And that is, remember, it starts the same way. A life fully surrendered is humbly serving. Write that down. Uh, life fully surrendered is humbly, we're just answering the question, what does full surrender look like? Uh, life fully surrendered is consistent in following Jesus. But secondly, a life fully surrendered is humbly, y'all help me, serving, now watch this, even in difficulty. Now, now where did I get that? Look with me in verse number 18 and into 19. And when they had come to him, he said to them, now when they, they being the pastors, had come to him, them, him being Paul, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. You know the consistency of Jesus in my life. Verse 19, serving the Lord. Now this is what you saw. This is what you heard. This is what you observed. I was serving the Lord, and I was serving him. Y'all help me how? With all humility. Now, let's just stop for a moment and discuss humility if we could, because some people get confused with low self-esteem, and they, and they equate low self-esteem with humility. Low self-esteem is an unhealthy thing. 
It's the mental idea that you're not uh, right, that something's wrong with you, that you cannot, that you're too tall, you're too short, you're too heavy, and you're fixated on that. And everything that you do comes from that thought pattern, okay? That's not humility. Humility is, uh, Lord, the only way something good is going to happen and be done is going to be if you do it in me and then through me. Does that make sense to you? And so, yes, without him, I am hopelessly lost and separated from God, but with him, he changes me, I'm his child, and I'm able to do anything he calls me to do because he's living in me. So, a life fully surrendered is humbly serving even in difficulty. He says, I, I, you saw it, you observed it, you saw the service. By the way, you were saved to serve. Did you know that? Let me write, I snuck that on some of y'all. You were saved to serve. So, if you're saved, are you serving? Because he didn't save you to take up a spot. No. He saved you so that you would be part of his family, an important part. Maybe an eye. Paul said some are eyes, some are ears, some are hands, some are feet. All of us have a responsibility and a very critical role in the, in the carrying out of God's will through the church. So if you're saved, are you serving? So this is what he says. Always lived among you, verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility, uh oh, with many tears, two things, and trials. Now notice that they're separated, and. He didn't say teary trials. He didn't say trials that produce tears. He said tears and trials. Now, why did he do that? Because there were times in Paul's letters when he would say, he wasn't in a major trial, but he would say, I have many tears in prayer for you. And so maybe his heart was anguishing because he was desiring to see some fruit of the Spirit in a certain group of believers. Or there were other times when he said, my heart breaks and longs to be with you again. I believe there were times as Paul was in prison, found himself in different places, there were times that he was wishing he was with a certain group of believers so much so that he shed tears. His desire was to see the will of God performed in the church of God, one heart at a time, one gathering at a time, and so it produced tears. But also, but also, listen, this is going to surprise you. Did you know that following Jesus, you're going to also face trials? And somewhere along the way, we got things confused. I know that for me, I was never, I never heard growing up that when I gave my life to Jesus, that, that when I said yes to the ministry, that things were going to be hard, except for, I remember the call that I made to my grandfather, who also was a pastor. And I remember calling him that day that I came down before Country Woods and shared with him that God had called me to preach the gospel. And I called my grandfather. I couldn't wait to call him. And when I called him, I said, I said, Papa, and I began to explain to him, I said, I've been called to preach. He said, I know that, son. And I thought to myself, why didn't you tell me? You know, I've been wrestling with this for a long time. And he said, that's some of the decision you have to come up with, right? I mean, you have to come to that grips. But then he said, his next phrase was this. It really, really surprised me. He said, it'll be the most disappointing thing that you've ever done. I said, wow. Because I'm a guy that really likes to be disappointed, you know. And I'm thinking, really? And he paused to let me process that. And at 23-ish, I remember processing that, thinking, man, I don't like being disappointed. I like being happy and full of joy. He said, it would be the most disappointing thing that you ever do. But then he followed it up after he gave me a little time to process. He said, but it would be the most rewarding thing that you could ever put your hands to, any most rewarding work you could ever spend your life doing. And so we fellowshiped, and we talked about that, and I was young. And, and so it took a little time for me to realize what he was talking about. But can I tell you, after 18 years, I understand fully what he's talking about. In the, the ministry, and I'm not talking about the preaching of the gospel. I'm talking about, did you know, by the way, that every one of us who've been born again are ministers? Yeah. The ministers are not the pastor, only the pastors. Ministers are all of us who've been born again. We're called to minister. That word minister means to serve, right? 
So we're called to serve and to minister to the world. And if you get into ministry, right, it'll be some of the most disappointing, come on, somebody, things you like. You say, why? Because it ain't always easy. Because there are going to be tears. There's going to be trials. There's going to be things in the trial. Is, uh, there's going to be some tests that God lays, God lays out before you to see if you really mean, to see where your heart's at, to prove where you are, what's your motivation, and develop you, like because the warrior is shaped in the fire, uh, to shape you into the man, the woman that God desires for you to be. And so there's going to be difficult. I just want to tell you something. Can I look you in the face and tell you there's going to be some tears and some trials? But listen, as my grandfather said, it's so worth it. And I can say that from the earthly perspective. Wait till I get home. Wait till I get home. I know that there's coming a day we're going to be able to look at it and say, whoo, it was so worth it. So let me move on. All right, number two, a life fully surrendered is humbly serving even in difficulty. Where are you? How are you serving the Lord? All right. Number three, a life fully surrendered. Oh, I'm about to get you. You ready? Is a life, you ready? A life fully surrendered is discipling. Anybody out there? other believers. Now, are you surprised to hear that at Hickory Ridge? If you're surprised to hear that, you're probably our guest today, and I'd like to say welcome, and I'm glad that you're here. But what you will hear from this pulpit, as long as I have breath in my lungs, is that in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus Christ, my master, said to us, me and you, his church, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things I have commanded you, and never lose sight of this, I'm with you always until the end of the age. Now, why do you bring that up, preacher? Because it is a command from the Lord Jesus. And the sad reality is that we look at culture and we want to complain about who's in office, we want to complain about law enforcement. We want to complain about culture. We want to complain about media and social media. And the truth of the matter is, the greatest contributor to the decay of society is a disobedient church who says, I'll not make disciples, Jesus, but I will go to church. I'll not make disciples, but I'll go and listen and grow myself. I'll not make disciples, and I'll just ignore, I'll hear the preacher, it'll convict me for a minute, but I'm just not going to change. And we are, when we live in that kind of willful disobedience, the greatest contributor to the decline and the decay of society, but not only that, listen close, also the population of hell. Man, I went to Hickory Ridge. I don't know why them people go out there. That guy did not just say, think positive. And project yourself into your best destiny now. No, because really it's not about you. And it's not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires that all men and women should be saved. And he wants to use you and me to do it. How about that? And we are his plan. We're plan A. There's no plan B. He chose us. He saved us. And he sets us a sail out there in our culture, in our circle of influence. And he's commended us to make disciples. And many of us came in today and we sang to him, may have put an offering in the offering basket, and we're living in outright willful disobedience, not making another disciple. I want to look at you real quick and just ask you, how long will you continue in that? How long will you keep saying no and thumbing your nose up at the command of your Savior, the one who bled and died and rose again? How long will you be okay knowing what he said, and disobeying it. Oh, friend, listen, there were years I lived that way. And I want to say to you this this morning. 
I didn't say that to you to crush you, to beat you down, but I said it to you that it would be an arrow released from my master's bow that would penetrate the hardness of our hearts that we might know the truth and it would hit its mark, not to kill us, but to call us up. To say it's not okay for us to just keep going to church, but that fully surrender to Jesus means I'm putting my arm around somebody and say, I don't know a whole lot, but what I do know, I'm gonna help you learn because you're newer in this than me. And so I've learned a little bit. I had a lady ask me this week, would you teach me how to pray? Man, it blessed my soul. I said, absolutely. We began to talk about it a little bit. We're gonna have some more conversations about that because that was more than I could do in just a few minutes. But I said, here's a way to start, right? Talk to him as if he is your best friend, but hold in high regard that he's also El Shaddai, God Almighty. And just begin to share with him and adore him and confess to him and thank him and pray for the supply. Oh, I just did the Acts acrostic, didn't I? And, uh, and so that's a great way to begin. What's the point I'm making? The point I'm making is making disciples. Where did I get it from this text? Put your eyes there. I'm teaching you how to study the Bible. Where did I get that? I draw, draw that out of thin air? Does the text prove what I said? Let's look, all right? Put your eyes quickly on verse number 19. Are you there? Somebody amen? Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, what happened to me. Uh, oh, by the way, let me hit this before I go to verse 20. By the plotting of the Jews. Now, here's the irony of the situation. Paul was once in the group of plotting Jews. Huh? Hey, we're going to go to this town next, and we're going to get... We're going to get James, and we're going to get Shane, and we're going to get Ryan, and we're going to go to their house. We know when he gets off the school, when he gets off school, and we're going to separate him from his mom and daddy, and we're going to torture them all, and they're going to shut up about Jesus. We're going to do whatever we got to do, and they're plotting. They're coming up with plans, and he used to be in that group. Now they're plotting again. Oh, I wish somebody would see what, what I'm trying to say today. When you fully surrender to Christ, you are changed. You can't be the same anymore. Now verse 20, where did I get, where did I get? A life fully surrendered is discipling other believers. Listen, how I kept back nothing that was helpful. Now, let's say that we're reading this one word at a time, one sentence at a time. I kept nothing. So that means that Paul gave them uh, uh, bread and, and sandwiches and, and water. And no, he's not talking about that. How do I know? Well, he tells them what he gave them. Look back in verse 20. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed. It's a speech type of thing. I proclaimed it to you. I taught you, listen, both publicly, all right, so there's some public platforms that some of us have in discipling. I'm standing in one right now. This is not my pulpit. It's his pulpit. It's at my platform. It's his platform, and he's given me this platform, this, this pulpit, for the purpose of discipling the group, right, through the text, but that's not the end of my responsibility to make disciples because he said, Paul said, I don't just do it publicly because not all of us have that big public platform that God's given us or a public platform, although you do live your life in the public. Never forget that. He says, publicly, but also, y'all reading with me, verse 20, but also from house to house. Hey, I'm gonna come and sit down and have lunch with you, and let's, I'm gonna teach you how to pray. Oh. Hey, I'm gonna come over, why don't y'all come over to the house, and we're gonna, we're gonna cook some hamburgers, and I'm gonna teach you how to study a book of the Bible. I'm gonna teach you how, what God has shown me about forgiveness. I'm going to teach you about what I've learned about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'm going to, hey, come over this weekend, and we're going to, we're going to grill out. We're going to spend some time, let the kids play, and I'm going to teach you about the substitutionary death of Jesus when he went to the cross for us. That's what it's supposed to look like, and that's the reason culture looks the way it does. Because somehow we, in our Western way of thinking, decided it's supposed to be just gather, 
get what we can get, go eat what we want to eat, probably not come back tonight. You with me? Probably don't matter that much to us. I mean, not again Sunday night? Come on. Who does that? And it, it just really hadn't gripped our heart. Listen to me. The point I'm trying to make here today is that there's a lot of fully surrendering left to be done for me and for you. Would you agree with me? There's still some areas that me and you could surrender. We could. Yes, absolutely. I pray God we would today. Number four. Number four. We're reading through this thing quickly because, well, some of y'all are looking hungry on me. All right, number three, a life fully surrendered is discipling others, putting our arm around somebody else and saying, I don't know everything, but what I have learned, I want to help teach you. We have such a tremendous amount of new believers. Listen to me. I was checking in there today, over 180, I think it's right at 185 people have been baptized here this year. Now, we clap our hands and we celebrate, we, we rejoice. Here's the sad reality. We don't have that many people saying, let me put my arm around one of them and teach them. So here's where I spend most of my time crying and my heart being broken over is the fact that many of them are saying, hey, I want somebody to disciple me. And I'm looking at the masses who just come in and go out, come in and go out, come in and go out. And so the new buildings are great. That's fine and wonderful, although it doesn't mean a thing to me except we need space to put people. What I'm praying is the kind of lasting revival that people start saying, you know what? He was talking to me. Jesus was when he said, make disciples. I don't know about that, but I'm calling off. So I'm going to meet with Pat, one of our pastors. I'm going to find out how I can go about doing that. And I'm serious about it. Matter of fact, I'm going to keep calling. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to, we're going to make this thing happen because my time's running out. And one day I'll give an account for every idle word I've ever spoken. Oh, man. Now let me move on. I'm trying to move on. I really am. Y'all see I was kind of passionate about that? Yeah, because I do. I shed tears over that. And many of you never even crosses your mind. And I shed tears over it because there's somebody who wants somebody to come alongside them and just teach them how to pray. And there's only one of me. And there's only so many hours that I get. And I know you've got some time. And here's what the most common answer is. I told you I was moving on, but I'm not quite. I don't have time for that. That's what I hear people say most often. To which my response is this. You ready? Now, this is going to be just as gracious as I can give it to you. Ready? Here it is. If you don't have time to disciple somebody, there's something you're doing in your life that God does not desire. Something in your life that doesn't belong there. Something needs to be trimmed back. And I pray you do it before it's too late. All right, number four, a life fully surrendered is sharing the gospel. I thought that's what you just said. No, I said discipling. That's teaching what it looks like after we've received Christ. But now we're going to talk about, because he gets specific here, and he talks about sharing the gospel. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 21. Are you there? Somebody amen? A life fully surrendered is sharing the gospel. Verse 20, 21, Paul said, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. What did he testify? The gospel, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's how a person is born again. They have to repent. You say, what does that mean? It means a changing of the mind. You mean changing of the mind about the alcohol I'm drinking? No, hang on. So, so you're telling me that, that I need to change my mind about, about this, this uh, same-sex relationship or I'm going to hell? Hang on, it's a symptom. You mean I need to quit overeating or I'm going to hang on, and that's a symptom of the problem. Here's what repentance means. Repentance means I understand that I was born on the throne of my heart, and all those other things I mentioned, and many, many, many more are only symptoms of me calling the shots. Now, by the way, we all have a bend towards sin. Do you know that? The Bible says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're born with a nature that desires to do what we want to do when we want to do it at all cost. Anybody tracking with me? And some might say, well, I told this guy the other day that, uh, that he wasn't born that way. He wasn't born predisposed to drink or get drunk, to which I'd say, yes, he was. Here's what the person said back to me. Yeah, but God don't make no junk. 
I said, boy, that's some heavy theology. What you just said is every baby's born perfect, doesn't need a Savior. You ready to back that? Anybody here ready to back that? Anybody here ready to stand up and say, God, don't make any jumps, so every baby's born perfect, doesn't need a Savior? Of course not. He didn't make any junk, but after the fall in the garden, junk would be putting lightly what we are. And sometimes our bend is toward alcohol, and sometimes our bend is toward violence, and sometimes our bend is toward same-sex attraction. So yes, we're born with that bend. Are you with me? But we can be born again. I wish somebody would hear me this morning. And Jesus changed it all, put us on the right track. Amen? Change our want-tos. I'm so glad he's king. And that the grave couldn't hold him. Oh, I wish somebody would smile in the house. That's good news I just shared with you. Repentance toward God. What's my repentance? The repentance is a changing of the mind that I don't make a good God. Repentance is not, is not repenting from one particular sin. Repentance is repenting of the sin of me being my own boss. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Getting saved doesn't say, well, I, okay, I've got to repent of, of overeating and then I'm going to be born again. No. That's one symptom of the wrong boss on the throne. If you repent of that one, there's going to be another one. The repentance is understanding I don't need to be the one calling the shots. And at salvation, I repent toward God. I'm, God, I'm, I don't need to be. And faith toward the Lord. Who, who, who does need to be? Faith. What did it say? Faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, you've proven yourself worthy. Come take the throne of my heart and be the one who got it. You want to talk about what salvation looks like? That's it in a picture. So, so sharing the gospel. My question for you is, who are you sharing the gospel with? A life fully surrendered. Oh, I'm looking at my life, guys, and I'm reading through this this week, and I'm reading it over and over and over this week, and I'm saying, Lord, shouldn't I preach like the 10 lepers, you know, that nine didn't come back, one did? It's a Thanksgiving week, and the Lord kept pressing this on my heart, kept pressing this on my heart, and I said, okay, I'm going to preach this. But it broke my heart because what I realized, and I'm looking into you, because James says that this is, the, this is the perfect mirror of God, his word. And the more this week I looked into it, because, you know, beginning of the week, I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm not, a, not a really hard, prideful thing, but I'm thinking, I'm pretty surrendered. You ever think that? Just me? That's all right. I'll be alone in that category. And then I get to looking at the law of liberty, the law of freedom, the law of his word, and I realize, man, I'm really not as surrendered as I thought I was. Is anybody else feeling that this morning? Now, now we get two choices what we're going to do with that. We can wallow in it and say, well, stepped on my toes and all that stuff. Or we can say, you know what? God met with me as a father does his child. And my daddy showed me some things in my life that he wants to change. And I'm going to let him. I'm going to let him. I'm going to humble myself and say, Lord, would you, would you help me surrender more of me to you? Help me surrender my way of thinking and my way of doing to you. A full surrender. All right, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. We're about halfway done. Y'all Okay. Oh, boy, I lost you then. I'm kidding. Five and six is all we lack. Number five, a life fully surrendered is unconditionally obeying God. Now, there are two conditions we're going to talk about here that I believe are really hard for us. Okay? Y'all with me? Everybody good? You need to stand up and stretch? Everybody okay? If you just stare at me, I don't know how to read you now. Come on, somebody do something. Blink. Shake your head. Everybody okay? Yes? All right, all right. Here we go. All right, read with me. Uh, life fully surrendered is unconditionally obeying God. Two things I want to talk about. Number one, obedience even in uncertainty. You know, one of the hardest things for me and you to face is not knowing what comes next. Can anybody agree with that? 
Listen to what Paul said about his obedience. It's a beautiful thing. Listen. He said, and see, now I go. I'm reading in verse number 22. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit. Now, I want to just talk about that for a minute because bound in the Spirit is this picture of, if you can imagine, chains on your hand, chains on your feet, chains on you, and you're being led by somebody. And the somebody that's leading you in chains is the Holy Spirit of God. Bound in the Spirit. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought when I got saved, I was free at last. You are free, free not to be who you used to be, free not to be an instrument used for unrighteousness. But now Paul said a slave unto righteousness. The picture here is not a slave against their will, but a bondservant in the New Testament is a word of free will slave, someone who freely gave up their rights. By the way, that's a picture of salvation. So now I'm bound, but I'm not bound in chains. I'm bound by love. I'm bound by grace. I'm, I'm bound by the Spirit's leading in my life. There are things sometimes I want to do in the flesh that the Spirit of God just will not let me do. And I'm glad I'd probably be in jail. You understand? He said, I'm bound. I'm bound. Somebody needs to see that picture. That if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you're bound in the Spirit. You, you, he's going to lead you. You can't lead Him. He's leading you. All right, I'm trying to move on. He, he says, I'm, I'm reading along. He says, I'm bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. I go there, bound. Now, first thing about it, not knowing the things which will happen there. Doesn't that sound exciting? Now listen, the Holy Spirit wants you to go here. All right, okay. What are we going to do? Can't tell you. Well, how are we going to do it? Can't tell you. Well, how are we going to have the resources? Can't tell you. Uh, anybody else says, all right, I'm going to sit this one out. I'm going to let a group of y'all go, and when they go, come back, tell me about it, and we'll, <laughs> we'll celebrate. And I believe it's the reason a lot of people sit out of what God's doing. Because a lot of us are like me, and I would rather have, listen to me, maybe you can relate to this, I would rather have the next steps. Anybody else? Like, I, I, I have a lot easier time when God says, I want you to do this, and then here's how you're going to do it, boom, 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 boom. I'm in, yes. But what I've learned about our, our, our master is this. Uh, oftentimes, it's an issue of faith. And he tests to see if we're going to do it because he said do it because we know who he is, not because we know what's going to happen. To trust him is to trust him with today and tomorrow and where I am and when I am and how I am, all right? So moving on, a life fully surrendered is unconditionally obeying God even when we don't know. Oh, many people have missed a great move of God in their life because they said, I'm not going to do that because I don't understand it. I don't know how it's going to happen, so I'm not going to do it. I beg you, when God says do it, just do it. You don't have to. You know, I've learned. I've learned the exciting part of that. Somebody asked me not too long ago, we were headed to Africa. They said, where y'all staying? I said, I have no idea. You mean you don't know where you're staying? Nope. How you getting there? I'm not sure. Somebody else booked a flight. Said, where are y'all going through? I don't know. Well, what seat did you get? I don't know that either. Well, I mean, you're still going? Yes. Why? Because God said so. Well, what if it's dangerous? It probably may be. What if you get sick? Hey, the chances are there. Well, all those don't. No, they don't bother me because I know God said Go. Now, I haven't always been there, and I don't always live there, but boy, when I do, listen to me when I say this, boy, when I do, I experience the supernatural power of God in my life like no other times. He says, go, you go. Paul said, he said, me go, I'm going. I don't even know what he said. Oh, wait a minute. He says, but now hang on. There's one thing I do know. So, well, I said two things. One was obedience even in uncertainty. Number two, obedience even in difficulty. Listen to what Paul says here. Verse 23, except I do know this thing. That the Holy Spirit testifies, so it's not his mama testifying, it's not his friend Jim or John or Sarah, it is the Holy Spirit who cannot lie. And what has the Holy Spirit told him? 
I'm going to let y'all read so you can preach this part. Come on, what's waiting on him? But that's really not the part I wanted to focus on. I wanted to ask you the question of where will it be? Oh, which city? So not every other city, not every third city. He had one guarantee. The only guarantee he got from God was that it was going to be hard. Every place he went, he was going to face opposition. And everywhere he went, he was going to be arrested. And everywhere he went, he's going to face trial. Now, there's your guarantee. Now, who's going to sign up? Y'all ready? Let's go. Come on, let's go. And Ronnie gave the illustration this week of a group of people who went to an island to share the gospel with some tribal people who were known for being cannibals. And the question was asked, man, what are you going to do? Don't you know you might die on that island? They said, we died before we got on the boats. Meaning that my life is in his hand. Now, I want you to consider for a minute that kind of faith. The kind of faith that says, if I get killed, wait, what? If I am killed, I believe God enough that if I'm killed, that was part of his plan. That if I'm not killed, that was part of his plan. That the, see, some of us don't have a big enough idea about God that we think that accidentally we might lose our life sometime. said, we died before we got on the boats. Paul said, the only thing I know for sure, every city I go to, it's going to be hard. Can you imagine if that was a presentation that somebody gave you to enter the ministry? Hey, Blaine, by the way, man, we got this thing we want you to do for, for Jesus. But listen, the only thing, now I don't know about the details and how we're going to do it, whatever, but just know this. Every place you put your feet, they're going to give you fits. Man, I don't know. I, I just think there's a portion of me that just sort of wants to stay home. Anybody else? Watch a football game. Have a good Sunday lunch. Have a safe, comfortable place to sit and get my little Jesus on and then go back home and eat my, eat my lunch and probably skip out on Sunday night church. But, but to say this thing is so real that full surrender means obedience even when it may cost me my life. It may really cost me some safety, comfort, and pleasure. Man, what a testimony, right? Let me move on if I can. Finally, number six. Can you believe we're there? Somebody said, yeah, I feel like I've been here for two days. <laughs> number six, and I'm going to finish here, all right? Here we go. A life fully surrendered, finally, number six, is immovable. Listen, it's immovable for, y'all reading along, a greater, help me, purpose. A greater purpose. You take a second and write that out. A life fully surrendered is immovable for a greater purpose, Okay? Now, if we had time and y'all didn't look so hungry, I'd give me a couple of people to come up on the stage and we'd do a little illustration for you. Right? You tracking with me? Some of y'all looking like, please, yes, let us out of here. Let us out of here. Still leaning toward doing it, but I'm not. I'm going to wait. Imagine if you would a person standing in one position. Because the word he uses there is immovable. None of these things move me. What things? Uncertainty. I don't know what's coming. And difficulty. I know this is coming. By the way, two major obstacles for me and you, right? Uncertainty and difficulty. Say it with me. Uncertainty, major obstacles for me and you. So a person is born again, and they're put in a position of grace. Now, I want you to stay here with me, okay? And I'm standing in this position of grace. What is this position? Are you ready? It is a position of forgiveness. I've been forgiven by God. I'm no longer an enemy at enmity with God. I am a child who's been born again and have peace with God. Come on, somebody help me. I'm no longer darkness, but I am now light. 
I'm no longer a slave to unrighteousness, but I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm no longer a slave to the world. I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm no longer guilty in the economy and courtroom of heaven, but I am, in fact, innocent, right? And that's where I stand. And this place is a place that has peace that comes not from my circumstances, but from my Savior, from my right standing with God. And so life happens, and I have peace. I'm not moved. But what happens is, and I was going to have somebody come up with a shirt on and have, have uncertainty and kind of push me and try to move me off my spot, or anxiety, or work. Because uncertainty, listen, uncertainty causes anxiety, and it causes disappointment, confusion, and it pushes against you. And the enemy wants to push you off that place, because if you move out here, if you get anxious, if you get hateful, if you get unforgiving, if you get bound up in, in emotions and you back away from the Lord and his church, well, you're no longer very effective for the kingdom. And God wants you and me effective for the kingdom. Why? He wants people saved. God wants to forgive. He'd rather forgive than to punish. And that's why he saved us and he sent us out that others would be saved. But if we stay in this position, our life is a testimony of the gospel. But if we get moved off, people say, see, I told you about her. She just goes to church. She's one of those hypocrites. And I'm not saying that we don't have days. But what I'm saying is, is that our life ought to be consistently lived right here. And my, when I played football at, at Byram and then Mississippi College, when they played line, they said, you got to get a wide base, you know? Kind of got to lower your center of gravity, huh? And you got to anchor yourself down in the great truths of God's Word. You got to find yourself a church, a gathering of believers that helps solidify your base, helps cheer you on as this is pushing against you and that's pushing against you, and you're able to stand in a place of grace and peace that as uncertainty and difficulty pushes, man, you're rock solid, and the Word is consistent. Now, why? What's the purpose? Finally, right here. Number one, we said immovable from the mission. What is that mission? That others would be saved. Number two, immovable for a gospel witness. Look with me. He says in verse 24, but none of these things... Can you read with me? But none of these things move me. I want you to see that picture. You're, you're, you're rooted in Christ. Your mind is made up. Your heart has found uh, that surgeon that, that produced in you what only he can. And you've found love and forgiveness. And by the way, for those who have been born again, isn't it a sweet place to be? My goodness. Changes everything. And then as you do that, read with me verse 24. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. I'm no longer about my safety, comfort, and pleasure, so that I may finish my race. Y'all help me. Quickly, I'm going to address this before I finish. Leave that verse up there for me, please. Let me say this to you in closing. Somebody said to me not too long ago, well, so-and-so died because they finished all the, the work that God had for them. I said, not so fast. Give me a verse that says that. They looked at me like, wait a minute. They said, well, I've heard. I said, yeah, I've heard a lot of things. Like, I'm going to get wings when I die. I'm going to be an angel. And I'm not. The Bible says I'm going to be, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, I'm going to be made like Jesus, not like an angel. Right? So, so the person said, yeah, but, I mean, I thought we all have these works. Yeah, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he ordained before the foundation of the earth, before time began. He did them for you and you, works that you do that I can't do. Work specifically for your gifting, your height, your voice tone, your circle of influence, your things that you can do with your hands, the knowledge in your head. Everything about you is cut out and designed for these specific works. But here's what I know. I know some people die, their measure of days comes up, and they never fulfill the work that God gave them to do. 
What a sad way to die. What a sad way to go to say, boy, I wasted the great resources of God and never completed the race with joy. Paul said, not me. I want to finish the race with joy in my heart, huh? And by the way, isn't it fun to serve somebody who has joy serving? I love it, man. I love to be around people who love serving the Lord and have joy. He says, I don't count my life dear to myself, so I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, that is to reach people for Christ. Why? Finally, number two, in closing, to testify. All of that to testify. Your life testifies. What's he hoping that his life testifies? Somebody help me. To the gospel of the grace of God. The main idea, life fully surrendered testifies of the gospel of grace. Paul should not have been allowed to be part of the family of God, and yet he was through Jesus Christ alone. I should not have been allowed to become part of the family of God, but I am the very same way Paul was through the Lord Jesus Christ. You should not be allowed to be in the family of God, and if you are, you came the same way Paul and I did, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, his death and resurrection. Your life ought to testify that. Grace ought to be the motivator to live a life, not burdened with the law of God, but joyful to live out his calling and purpose that others may know him. Let me ask you to bow with me. Would you do that? Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. Fully surrendered. What does it mean? A life fully surrendered testifies to the gospel of grace. I want to ask you this morning, does your life testify to the gospel of grace? Question, what purpose are you living for? If I was to ask your best friend, what's her purpose? What does she spend her time and energy on? If I was to ask your wife, hey, what's, what is his goal? What is he working towards? Would they say about you that really it's about the golden years? You're working to save and work hard and have a nice home, and, and, that's, and that's the purpose of your life? Or, or would they be able to say their purpose is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be great today if some of us came to this altar this morning and said, Lord, there's some areas of my life that I could surrender and I need your help. Matter of fact, I'm going to say that the altar's open. Some of you just need to hear that sometimes because the Spirit's already drawing. And I'm going to say, would you stand with me to make it all right? Because there's going to be some people in the middle of the aisle that need to get out. And uh, I want to make it possible for them to come and make it a little easier. Would you stand with me with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, all right? Not looking around, um, but just bowing and praying. And some of you just coming on out. Some see people are coming from all over. Just step out of your row if the Spirit's drawing. And maybe you just come down this altar, just you and the King. And you just begin to say to him, Lord, there's some areas of my life that I need to fully surrender. Now, here's what I believe. There's about six, eight folk down front. There ought to be people right now pushing each other over, getting down this altar to say, I need to just spend a little time with King Jesus and say, Lord, there's some areas of my life I'm not fully surrendered. I challenge you to come. Somebody said, what's nothing special about that altar? There's something very, very powerful about symbolically leaving your chair and bowing down before him at the altar and just saying, Lord, do a work of grace in my heart. If you're here today and you're not making disciples, you ought to be the first one to the altar. It ought to crush your heart to hear that. If you're not actively making disciples, you ought to just left out of your chair and come right down and said, oh, God, forgive me. I'm living in willful disobedience. Oh, God, help me to see that. Give me courage. Give me the words to say. God, put somebody in my life that just needs to know what I've learned so far. 
Brian Taylor down front. They'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you. So you come. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You can just come. They're standing right in the middle down front. Ladies, Taylor would love to have the opportunity to talk with you. Shane and Dawn are down front as well. Johnny's down to my right, to your left. If you'd like to have somebody to pray with you, just come on, just take one by the hand and say, you know what, would you just pray that I'd be fully surrendered? That's a simple prayer, isn't it? It's a simple prayer. Maybe you're here you never invited Jesus to be Lord. Good news, it's not too late. Today, today you could be born again. If you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and you'll turn your life over and confess him as Lord, invite him to come and be Lord, he'll save you and give you a purpose worth living for. Father, I thank you for this time. The altar is full. Just know this. There's still some room if you need to come. We're just going to sit here for a minute. Fully surrendered. Let's don't play church anymore. I'm, I'm sick of... Listen, would you, any of y'all agree with me? I'm just sort of sick of playing church. I'm, I'm, know, some of y'all know me pretty well. I get a little bit sick of just talking about buildings because all that's reserved for fire. We just need space to put people. That's all. So we can disciple them and share the gospel. What I'm encouraged, what I, what I long to see is every heart fully surrendered, making disciples, obeying the Lord at all costs, that his name would be glorified. Father, take this time of response, and would you please move? Move, Lord, in the heart of every person. I pray that you protect right now the word that has been shared from the enemy who desires to steal it away. Father, I pray that you would let that seed of your word find good, fertile ground in our heart. Lord, do a, a work of grace. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. You respond as the Lord leads. In Jesus' name, amen.